0: Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 the Apostle Paul. Uh, writing to the church in Ephesus, says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice in the public reading of Scripture. We say amen and hallelujah to the words of Scripture that are written to our benefit. We say so be it, Lord Jesus. Help us to live it out faithfully before you, God. I pray in these moments that are ahead that you will move by the mighty hand of your Spirit, Lord God, that you will help me to speak only that which is from your word. God, that you will help us to hear what it is that the Spirit would speak to us today. And Lord, that as we leave this place, we would rejoice of being in your presence, being in the presence of your church, oh God. And we will rejoice that the word of God has been hidden within our heart, that in that day we would not sin against you. So thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy today. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Three o'clock, if you want to worship with our Hispanic Fellowship, that happens at 3 p.m. today. I'd encourage you to do that, whether you know the language or do not. Come and be blessed by being in God's presence uh, with some people who love to be in God's presence. And so I hope that you will uh, just take advantage of that this afternoon. Uh, at 3 p.m. We're jumping into kind of the final portion of the Apostle Paul's letter at the end here of chapter 6. And Paul is essentially summing up for us what uh, he has written to us in the book, he's kind of pulling it all together in order that we will understand what our task is and what uh, the Ephesians, particularly what their task is and what our task is as believers uh, in the time in which uh, we live. In fact, I would say that we cannot appreciate Paul's call for unity, which is in the rest uh, of this text, in the earlier portions of this text, we can't appreciate his call for unity uh, without understanding what Paul is going to ask of us here in the latter part of uh, chapter 6. He speaks to us that you and I are in a spiritual fight. We're in a spiritual fight for uh, ourselves and our walk with the Lord. We're in a spiritual battle for our. Families. We're in a spiritual battle for our church and for those around us, and we have to be engaged in the battle. And God has a plan and God has a way in which we are to stand strong, uh, to tarry, to occupy until he comes. In verse in uh, chapter 6 and verse 10 and 11, again, the apostle says to us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. First, be strong. Be strong in the Lord. And the notion here is not simply to stand strong and kind of be at a point of just stasis, of of equilibrium, of staying. The point here is stay strong, be strong, and get stronger. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong and get stronger in the Lord. And the reason for us to grow strong in our relationship with Jesus and to continually day by day as we awake from our rest in the morning to ask the Lord for wisdom and understanding of how we are to live for Him, the reason that we are to stand strong is because we have an enemy that is seeking to come against us and to deceive us. Now the point to understand is that the enemy has already lost the battle. And in that, we can rejoice, and we can shout, and we can lift up holy hands in praise to God to know that our enemy is a defeated foe, that our salvation, if we are in Christ, has been secured upon the cross, that as we remain in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we walk faithfully uh, with him, the Bible says that there is no one that can take us out of his hand. But the enemy is deceptive. What he wants you to do is live a defeated Christian life. He wants you to live defeated, and he wants you to feel the weight and the shame and the guilt which is taken away by the cross. And one of the chief ways that the enemy seeks to infiltrate deception or push deception into our lives is to get us to doubt the promises of God. This is why the apostle says to us, be strong and keep getting stronger. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, each time the enemy tried to twist Scripture in order to nullify the promises of God. This is what God wants to do in your life as you're walking with him, or what the enemy wants to do in your life as you are walking with the Lord. The enemy wants to speak into your ears and begin to twist the Scriptures of God and to say it will never work for you. God's promises really aren't for you because you've not lived faithfully enough. Your life is a mess. You've not got it together enough. You've done too much in the past. God's promises are not for you. He wants you to doubt the promises of God. This is why, again, we must be strong. We live in a kingdom that is brought into reality through faith. That is hope that is not yet realized. The chief tactic of the enemy is to get us to doubt that which God will do in the future, which then ultimately, as a believer, is the worst place in which we can exist. To be a Christian, but then doubt the promises of God, because it ultimately turns into despair. There's no help for me. I've got to live this way until I die. I've got to live this way I've got to exist in this mess. I've got to be in the middle of this. I've got to be in this family that doesn't love me. I've got to be in this poor condition, this job, this marriage, this whatever. And it's going to exist like this forever. And God's promises aren't going to change anything. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but nothing in my life is going to change. What a pitiful mess. And that's not the gospel for us. I stand firm in my commitment to speak to you today that whatever your struggle is, whatever the battle is you are facing, there is a promise of God for you this morning. The enemy will try to get you to doubt your salvation, to doubt your healing, to doubt your provision, to doubt your spirit baptism, to doubt your inheritance. And Paul's encouragement to the Ephesians church and to us is to be strong and to keep getting stronger. But this strength is not something that we can conjure up in our own self. We're to be strong, but we're to get stronger in the Lord. The source of our strength is our relationship with the Lord through His Son. The Lord has given us the means in order to move in His mighty power through the provision of the spiritual armor, which we've prayed about already and which we'll talk about in just a little bit. There are a variety of pieces of armor, but yet they're meant to be worn as a unit. And often the reason in our spiritual fight when we want to stand strong in the Lord, we get used to wielding one piece of the spiritual armor, and we want to use that piece of spiritual armor against everything that comes against us, and that's not the way it uh, it works within the spirit realm. Imagine a soldier who goes out to battle, and he's wearing flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt, but he's got a helmet on, and he says, hey, I'm ready. We would do exactly what you just did, is laugh at him. Because he's not ready. He may have a helmet, but he's not equipped for battle. There's other pieces of armor that complete the unit. There's other pieces of armor that help him to be fully protected in the battle. And so we have to be strong in the Lord in the way in which God has called us to be equipped. Often, I believe, we have not properly armed ourselves. We must put on the new man, seeking to know God, being committed to Christ, and doing the work he has called us to do. We are to be strong in the Lord because we are fighting a vicious, supernatural enemy. We have to stand firm against his schemes because his schemes are employed for your destruction. You have an enemy who wants to destroy you. You have an enemy who wants to destroy you and will use everything at his disposal in order to do so. Even at this moment in your life, he is seeking to employ schemes for your and my destruction. He is planning how to get you to deny the truths of Scripture, to turn your back on the Lord and again, ultimately destroy you. The reason we are to grow in the Lord and become stronger in the Lord and to build up our faith is so that we will have the wisdom to stand firmly against the devil's cunning, deceitful scheming, which will lead to our destruction. The beauty of this is that you and I are not called to win the battle because the battle has already been won. But we're called to stand firm and to stand in the territory which has already been secured for us. We are to maintain the ground which we have been given in Christ. Standing firm in the full armor, focusing ourselves toward the right fight. There's times, I believe, When we don't fight the right fight. Verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We're in this passage informed that our battle is explicitly against the evil spiritual powers. Our fight here is not in hand-to-hand combat. It's not like a wrestling match where we're physically grappling with our opponent. Our opponent is not someone that we can simply knock out by sheer human strength and opposition. We're fighting against an unseen enemy. The spiritual armor that has been allocated for us is to fight in that unseen battle. In fact, I could have a couple of brethren help me. Maybe uh, Brother Mike, Brother Carlos, uh, Mike, if you'd help me, brethren. Take the end of that for me. Mike, if you'll hold that in. and that in. hold this one. Now, pull them and don't let them go. Like, pull it, t- tighten it out, kind of like a tension. theologians say that you and I live in what is called an already not yet tension that if you and I are in the place of our brother Mike these are all good strong Christian brethren so I'm not allocating one over the other but if this is <laughs> if this is the world we live our flesh we're living in the world and the world is, pulling in a direction. When you come into Christ, the spirit man, though, now is already in the tension coming into the kingdom of God. So the spirit man has been made alive in Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Once, Mike was fully in the kingdom of this world, dead in his trespasses and sin. When he comes into relationship with Christ, now the spirit man is reaching for what is eternal so the spirit man now is made alive in christ what was dead in trespasses and sin now has come alive in christ and there is this heavenly tension by the power of the spirit pulling the spirit man up, calling the spirit man up into righteousness. And yet, because we still live in this fleshly body, there's a tension that continues to pull us back towards the things of the world. And what the scriptures articulate and tell us is that our focus has to be on things above. The unseen spirit realm, what is going on? Because now, what we where we were dead in our trespasses and sin, this afternoon, take and read through the book of Revelation. What you'll find in the book of Revelation is that there are people who remain in their trespasses and sin, that all of these world events are happening, and they're still shaking their fist at God, and they're gnashing their teeth at God, and they're angry at God. It's because the spirit man has never been revived to see the heavenly thing. They still exist in the the fleshly, fleshly realm. But you and I, when we're in Christ, our spirit has been made alive. Our spiritual eyes are now open. We see the glory of Jesus in the heavenly realm. And what wells up within us is that we want this and we don't want to come back here. But while we're still in the flesh, while we still exist in a earthly body, There is a tension saying, Come back here. The enemy fighting, fighting, fighting. And Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, through the power of the Spirit, is saying, Don't look here, look here. I want you to arm you up, my temple. In the full armor of God, not just the helmet of salvation, not just the breastplate of righteousness, not, not just the preparation of the gospel of peace, not just about the belt of truth. I want you to wear the whole thing, Mike, that you're focusing over here, that what is behind becomes less and less, and what is ahead becomes greater and greater. Thank you, brethren. This is the situation in which we find ourselves in. And there is a spiritual battle that seeks to continue to pull you toward the things of the flesh. This is why Jesus tells us about prayer. What does prayer do? Prayer requires you to take time. Prayer requires you to push back some fleshly desires and take time in order to feed the spiritual man to refocus Upon heavenly things. Fasting comes along and it denies the appetites of the flesh. And we feel it within ourselves if you begin to. Push back the plate. You don't drink your coffee in the morning. Heaven forbid we start to get headaches and we start to think about food all the time and things when we didn't think about food before. And we start to think about pancakes and other cakes and uh, hostess cakes and all these things we never ate before because the flesh is gnawing at us. Come back here. But as we fast, We are in a period of longing after the Lord saying, I'm denying the flesh in order to pursue righteousness that I may stand strong in the Lord. Our fight is against that unseen enemy that continues to try to pull us back to fulfill the appetites and the pleasures of the flesh. And you and I must be convinced But there is an unseen enemy in spiritual darkness. One of the biggest threats to us as believers is to doubt that we have an unseen enemy. To doubt that there's not an enemy coming around, roaring about, seeking to destroy us. That's one of our biggest threats is to think, he's over there. He's in those countries over there. He's not here in Charlottesville, Virginia. When we begin to think that and we begin to believe that, he's already begun to infiltrate our mind. The Apostle Paul is trying to convince the Ephesians... And ultimately us, that when we are in Christ, our focus moves from the fleshly things to the things of the Spirit. This is why Jesus said, don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about all of these things. Your Father in heaven knows that you need all of these things. Don't worry about, because this is what the world worries after. This is what the Gentiles long after. Don't think about those things, but focus yourself on the kingdom of heaven and God's righteousness, and pursue His righteousness, and then all of these other things will be added to you. While we are still in a fleshly body through Christ, we have that sense of peace and freedom in the Spirit. Through Christ, through the power of His Spirit, we do not have to feel the guilt and the condemnation of sin any longer because we believe that in the Spirit, Christ has already borne that for us. Paul further tells us that as our fight is not against flesh and blood, sometimes even the fight is against ourselves. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but our battle is in the spirit realm. That territory has already been won, and we must occupy the territory that Christ has already secured for us. I believe that there is a dark spiritual enemy and dark spiritual forces that are at work which will seek to steal your joy, steal your authority in Christ, bind you in sin, confuse the work of God in you. It will cause you to doubt the Lord, doubt his promises, and to begin to think that you have to earn your way into heaven. There was a, a brother who's passed away and is with the Lord. Uh, I've been reading some of his material and some of his uh, sermons, and he speaks about, in Scripture, this idea of demonization. My experience as a pastor and my study of the Scriptures lead me to affirm that there is a spiritual darkness that can plague the Christian. Just as someone can be brutalized by a bully, someone can be demonized by the devil. The armor of God and the power of the Spirit are the means to bring freedom in Christ. There are times when we have to use discernment for what is going on around us. By faith, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If by faith you believe in Jesus, you accept him as Your Savior, you say, I cannot save myself. There is no amount of works that I can do in order to earn a place with God. But I believe in Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who died upon Calvary's cross, the righteousness that I could never have within myself. He has imputed that righteousness to me. And on the cross, he was a sacrificial lamb of God who was my substitute. I should have been upon the cross, but he was on the cross in my place because I have sinned. I deserved punishment, but Jesus was the substitute for me upon Calvary's cross. I believe that. I believe he lived, and I believe he died, and I believe he rose again. If you profess that and believe that by faith, the Bible affirms to you that you are saved. Now there are those who make that profession of faith. Those who believe those things but still find themselves under the weight of sin. Maybe it's a battle in the mind. Whether it continues to be over and over and over something that calls them back. Whether it's you're not good enough, you're not capable enough. And some of those battles are just battles of the flesh sort of ruts in the road that we've got to get out of through the power of the Spirit. There are other battles the Bible talks about and it talks about besetting sins. Things that come against us over and over and over and over and over again that we're never able to seemingly get freedom from. Maybe that's thoughts in the mind. Maybe that's battles of sin or other things. I believe that those are spiritual attacks. However you want to frame that, that is the enemy through the unseen spirit realm and unseen spirit warriors that we would call demons that is impacting you and impacting your ability to experience the full freedom that has already been won for you in Christ. And there are times, I believe, that those doors become open. Sometimes it's things that we've allowed to happen ourselves. We've opened doors ourselves. Sometimes those doors are opened by things others have done to us when we and ourselves were completely innocent. And yet the enemy has taken advantage and come in and gotten a foothold to where our whole life becomes wrapped up over a particular besetting sin. And we go weeks, months, years and never experienced a freedom, a walk in the freedom that God has for us. Now. I will share with you, as I've said before in this congregation, pastorally, I cannot accept a gospel after reading the New Testament that says there is not full freedom in Christ. I cannot affirm that you have to live in your sin, I cannot affirm that there is no victory in the mind. I cannot affirm that there is no victory over the besetting sins of the flesh. I believe that there is freedom in Christ, and I believe that there are times where the body of Christ must gather together and through discernment recognize that at times our brothers and sisters are under a deep and lasting spiritual attack, and they need to be released in the name of Jesus. Jesus The way that we prevent footholds in our life verses 13 through 17 clue us in we have to wear the full armor of God take up the full armor Of God, the full armor, not just pieces, the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having just spoken about the world rulers, the principalities, the wicked forces that are existing. He's not talking about some day in the future, and he's speaking to believers in the Ephesian church, and he's saying to the believers in the Ephesian church, I want you to clothe yourself, In the full armor of God, so that in the evil day, when the enemy comes, when the rulers and powers and world forces attack you, I want you to have on the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist doing everything to stand firm. Now stand firm, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of "...righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord." Fasting the belt of truth about our waist indicates a readiness for service. He says to gird our loins with truth. Girding the loins was a symbolic way of saying that someone was standing firm and exercising self-control. The picture is derived from the fact that soldiers in this day would gird themselves with a belt, and in that day, again, they would have like more of a flowing kind of clothing, but when they were preparing themselves for battle, they would Pull up the pieces of their garment and tuck into their belt in order to be ready to run, that nothing would then begin to impede their movement. Thus, girded, they would be able to move about, being less likely to be hindered, tripped, or to fall. And Paul says that we are to gird our loins with. Truth That we should faithfully hold to the truth of God's word. But the the idea there is not just that. Because the belt of truth was not simply to help in girding up the loins. The belt of truth was there as a stiffening agent for the midsection as well. So it's not just that we have a hold of the truth. But we also must recognize the truth must have a hold of us. God's truth must be in us. We must be walking it out. It must stiffen our back that we will be resolved to fight. Paul says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is really the most visible piece of armor. It would have been one of the largest pieces of armor as well. When we first believe the gospel, the scripture says that we are justified or declared righteous by faith. That describes what is called our positional righteousness. That we are righteous simply by God uh, seeing our acceptance of Christ, the spirit of Christ within us, the blood of Christ applied to us. And he takes his gavel and he pounds it on the desk and he says, you are righteous. That's positional righteousness. But in this concept, Paul is not so much referring to our position of righteousness, but our daily practice of righteousness. Living rightly before God as we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. I shared with you last week, preachers recycle stories all the time. I'm going to recycle one more that I know you guys have heard before, but it illustrates this point the best. I was. Traveling toward northern Virginia, I was in my vehicle. I came to a school zone. The speed limit dropped to 35. I was going 49. The normal speed limit was 50. The police officer pulled me over. He charged me with going 49 in a, in a 25. Virginia charged you per mile over the speed limit. I wanted my ticket cost to be reduced. I went to the judge not to be absolved because I knew I was speeding. I just wanted to pay less. When I got before the judge, because the ticket was written wrong, he threw the whole thing out. I didn't have to pay anything. It was as if I had never been speeding at all. This is where we find ourselves in Christ. When we are in Christ, the gavel comes down on the desk. Our position in Christ is secured. We are righteous in Christ, even though we may be guilty. So we are positionally righteous, but that doesn't mean that every single time I pass in that school zone in the future, I'm rolling through at 49 miles per hour. Don't you think that the next time I crest that hill... Heading up on uh, 20 North, and I'm passing that Locust Grove Elementary School that I'm not looking at the sign and thinking, is it blinking? Some 10, 15 years later. And God did all that to me so I could have a sermon illustration. (laughs) As a soldier covers his breastplate, covers himself, with righteousness, he is securing himself against a disabling wound. So also as believers, we are to endue ourselves with righteousness. Seek to be righteous in Christ. To make our heart and will secure against the fatal thrust of those who will come against us. The Bible says that we are to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I would assume that not many of us came today without shoes on. We all wore shoes because shoes increase our mobility and decrease our chance of getting wounded and becoming immobile. Common practice of the Roman soldiers was to put sticks in the ground with sharpened points, burying them just beneath the ground, so that their opponents, who may not have things on their feet, would begin to walk over the pointy sticks, not seeing them, seeing them just below the blades of grass, and begin to wound themselves, immobilizing them and enabling the Roman army to come after them in the attack. The Romans knew better. They would begin to shod their feet. They would have often a piece of leather strapped on the bottom of the feet and then either ties and even leather that would come up over the side of the foot and ties that would work its way up on the side of the leg. Often they would put nails through uh, the leather in the bottom for the purpose of standing firm. When your relationship where your spouse gets thorny, what do you do? You stand upon the gospel of peace. When your children are out of line, what do you do? You stand upon the gospel of peace. When you are struggling and you can't seem to overcome, you stand upon the gospel of peace. When workplace things are not coming together, you stand upon the gospel of peace. The Lord says in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace because in the world you're going to have tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Isaiah 26 and 3, another promise, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5 and 9. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety, Psalm 4 and 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace, Romans 8 and 6. We have to stand upon the foundation of peace, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, standing firm. Verse 17, taking up the helmet of salvation. A Roman soldier, as he would be entering into battle, would put on the helmet. Often it was made of bronze or of leather pieces with metal covering. Salvation in its fullest sense doesn't necessarily mean that you and I are saved from the battle. When we talk about being saved, it's not that we are saved from the spiritual battle. What we are ultimately saved from is the wrath of God. you make no mistake, there is a day coming when God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth. This is why we must be eager and And we must be exceptional in our pursuit of sharing the gospel message. We must be evangelists. We must be missionaries sharing the message of truth to those who have not heard. Because there is a day coming when God will pour out his wrath upon the earth. But when we are in Christ, we are saved from that wrath that is to come. And our helmet of salvation helps us to remember even in the midst of the battle who has already won the war. Or to think about modern warfare and soldiers who may perish on the battlefield. We just uh, celebrated Veterans Day this week. There's many who have served in order to protect many of the freedoms in which we enjoy. On Memorial Day, we Remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. We recognize on Veterans Day all those who have served. Memorial Day, we recognize those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. In modern warfare, a soldier who has paid the ultimate sacrifice may never truly know the final outcome. But you and I, through the Scriptures, are given a guarantee that through the power of the Spirit, you and I have already been victorious. What we are facing today, the battle that you might be facing this morning, is simply a lingering skirmish. But be assured and rest assured today, be encouraged in your walk with Jesus today that Christ has already conquered. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 talks to us about the great cloud of witnesses. It says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Let us lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember, setting aside those things which entangle us, the tension that is pulling us this way, and set before us the author and finisher of our faith. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When things get difficult, consider that there is a great cloud of witnesses that has gone before you. Consider the Lord Jesus Christ who endured hostility so that you will not grow weary and that you will not lose heart. Strap on the helmet of salvation, knowing that Christ is the author, but also the finisher of your faith. Our Lord Jesus, he is strong and mighty. And what you are facing this morning, he is able by his grace to bring you through. Putting on the helmet of salvation, we also must take up the shield of faith. Many Bible commentaries refer to the shield of faith as a piece of offensive armor. But it is also a piece of defensive armor. When the enemy seeks to throw the flaming darts against you, all those forms of temptation that are common to so many of us. Temptation to pride, temptation to selfishness. Maybe the battle against others who may say slanderous things about us. Flaming arrows from the enemy of discouragement, despair, doubt. Many of our brothers and sisters around the world face the flaming arrows of persecution. They've lost loved ones. They've lost their personal possessions because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Under intense pressure to renounce their faith in order to escape with their very lives. This passage gives us a picture of a soldier who is huddled behind his shield with the flaming arrows of the enemy. Bouncing all. Shield would often be a piece of piece of wood that would have a leather covering over it, often soaked in water before a battle in order to pull everything tightly together. The scripture calls us to take up that shield of faith, which with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What's interesting in this passage is it says, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I'm not saying he doesn't, but it doesn't say in this passage that those arrows have been fired. Have you seen the battle movies of the medieval battles where they're just kind of drawn? And it looks threatening. It looks like something's about to happen. You're seeing the flame. Some of those medieval movies, you see the guys on the other side who are kind of trembling. Kind of wondering what's going to happen next. For you and I, as we take up the shield of faith, often those shields were as I said, soaked in water for a purpose, that they're able to extinguish the darts. And I think often they can extinguish the darts before they're even fired by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we can take up that shield of faith we are not cowering behind it. We're not shivering. We're not shaking. Our knees are not knocking. We're seeing the kingdom of God. We're uh, excited about what God is doing. Our face is as a flint for the glory of Jesus. We stand firm upon his promises. And as the enemy begins to pull back his bow, we are able with the shield of faith to extinguish before it is even launched by faith. We take up the shield of faith and we extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. And we take up the sword of the spirit, which the Apostle Paul says is the word of God. We take it up and we advance with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will tell you this, you don't pick up a sword in order to tickle your enemy. You don't pick up a sword in battle in order to do something silly or to stand back. You pick up a sword in order to take somebody out. And God, by his grace and by his mercy, calls us to take out the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and to mortally wound him once again, to take him out To know that we can advance through the kingdom with the power of the Word of God that's hidden deep within our heart that when the temptations of sin come, when the difficulties come, we can pull out of ourselves the Word of God which has been hidden in our heart and we can wound what's coming against us. Tell me it doesn't happen. The devil came to the Lord in his moment of weakness. Jesus had been fasting. Jesus had been praying the inauguration of his ministry, the beginning of his work on the earth. For 40 days, Jesus had been fasting and seeking. Jesus had been interceding. He had been in the presence, as it were, of the Lord. He was weary. He was hungry. He was tired. And the enemy comes at the opportune time, the tenth. Now, know that even in that moment, the enemy was already defeated. It wasn't that it was going to happen. Jesus, the scripture tells us, is the lamb slain all the way before the foundation of the world. So his defeat had already happened. And yet, even to the Lord, the enemy is coming to tempt in order to thwart the plan of God. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do with you. He wants to tempt you in order to get you to succumb at your weakest moment to his plan in order to seek to thwart God's glorious plan for you. He wants to focus you on the flesh and the fleshly nature and the temptations of the flesh and the desires of the flesh. I need this. I need more money. I need more opportunity. I need a better person. I need a better family. I need better. No, what you need is to focus yourself. Take out the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Begin to stand firm upon His good and precious promises. And when the enemy comes to tempt you, you do exactly what Jesus said. Was it not written? Was it not written? Was it not written? We have to hide the Word of God in our heart. That at the right opportunity, at the right moment, we're able to pull the Word of God out and to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is sharp and powerful. That we would not succumb to the temptations of the flesh and the battle of the flesh, but we'd keep our mind focused on the spiritual battle that we're called to face, that has been won for us, and we will stand firm and occupy the territory that God has given to us. I believe that when that happens, I believe that as we stand fast, I do believe that we will see families restored. I do believe that what we're praying for and what we're seeking God for in terms of revival and transformation in our city, that it will come. Because the Apostle Paul in all of Ephesians is talking about unity. And if you and I, if we're writing a letter to someone that we love, if we're pinning a letter to someone that we love, and I'm pinning a letter, if I'm pinning a letter to my son, Seth, in the back, if I'm pinning a letter to him, and he's about to go off, and whatever the Lord has for him, and I'm saying, Seth, you should do this, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, I can tell you that at the end of the letter, I want to put the most important piece I'm going to say, after I've told you all this stuff, I want your mind focused on Jesus. I want your mind to be kept in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to follow him with all that is within you. After I've told you how to live successfully here and here and here and here and what I think about your life here, here and here. What I want you to know is in in spite of all of this, follow Jesus, follow hard after the Lord, love him with everything that is within you. And the apostle Paul, as he's loving the Ephesian church, as he is writing to the Ephesian church, he's saying, I want you to be in unity. I want you to have good relationships. I want you to have good marriages. I want you to have children who are raised up faithfully. I want you to have relationships with people who are in the workforce with you and what your vocation is and what has been called to do. I want you to have good relationships and all of those things. But above all, to bring unity in the church, to bring unity in the body, I want you to fight the spiritual battle. I want you to be steadfast. I want you to be immovable. I want you to put on the helmet of salvation. I want you to have the preparation of the gospel of peace. I want you to have a belt gird about you to hold Hold yourself together in times of difficulty in order that there would be unity in the church of God. This is what the gospel calls us to. We want revival. Then we must pray that our eyes are open to fight the spiritual battle. And I want to tell you today that if you find yourself smushed under the heavy weight of the enemy, we have got to get the freedom. And I can't say, I, I can say that it is provided for you. I can't say that if we pray for you today, we will try to believe by faith as best as within us that God will fully and miraculously deliver you today. But what I can tell you is that he will give you grace. And if you don't stop, if you don't quit focusing, if you don't turn aside, if you don't pull back to the ways of the flesh, but you keep your eyes set, you keep your focus ahead, you keep your mind focused on Jesus, I can tell you, you will win the battle through Christ. I can tell you that I've seen those who have been faithful, because every step of the way, God is teaching you something. Every step of the way, God is telling you how to more fully fasten yourself in His armor. How to more fully wield His armor. And here is what I will tell you, brother and sister, that when you get the victory, it doesn't stop there. When you get the the victory over sin, if you've gotten the victory over your sin today, if God has miraculously delivered you, if his hand has been upon you, I'm telling you, it doesn't stop there because then God is calling you to take that to someone else because there's someone else who's struggling. There's someone else who's challenged. There's someone else who's difficult and God needs you to speak his truth over their life. How do they overcome? I think you said it, Sister McCready, this morning, didn't you? You said they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And it's time in God's house that we hear the testimonies once again of God's power and deliverance, God's grace and His mercy. I will tell you that I'm feeling more of a freedom myself. I'm feeling a lot of freedom to be able to talk about what's back there because I want someone to know what was back there and what brought me here. It's the grace of God. It is the grace of God. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I'm going to ask you to stand with me.